Turn with me to Judges chapter 9. Judges chapter 9, the title of my message is Returning to Godly Living. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of go through this scripture and um, I'm going to read part of it. It's a long scripture. I'm going to read part of it and I'm going to summarize part of it and kind of give you the general idea here. Uh, It's easy for us sometimes in life to drift from God. Maybe you've had times in your life where you felt like you had drifted away from God and and things just weren't quite as close as they used to be. There's kind of a spiritual desert in your life. And um, I know I've been there a couple of times myself, and I long to, to get back in a right relationship with the Lord uh, in those times where I, I feel like I've drifted. Um, we need that close fellowship with the Lord, and, um, and we need to avoid the, the spiritual drift that so easily sets in upon our lives. Um, in this scripture, uh, we have Abimelech, the son of Gideon's concubine, who uh, decides that he is going to rule. And he, he starts off with some intrigue, and he, he goes and he, he tells his mother and her relatives, look, uh, is it better for you to be ruled by 70, talking about Gideon's sons, his other sons, or to be ruled by one, me, who's your flesh and blood? And so he talks them into supporting his bid for the kingdom. They give him 70 pieces of sir- silver, uh, which he probably then uses to hire these uh, worthless men, that's what the Bible calls them, uh, to join him and kill 70 of Gideon's sons. Uh, only one of them escapes, and his name's Jotham. Jotham then uh, gives a, a parable about some trees, the olive tree, the fig tree, and uh, the grapevine. And they had plenty of good things to do. They didn't want to rule over the trees. It's a fable. And so uh, then he says, but finally they go to the bramble uh, and they ask him, will you rule over us? And so he agrees to do so. And he says, if, uh, if you're really going to follow me, fine. If not, may fire come out and consume you. So he's uh, getting off to a good start already. And uh, Jotham then says, look, if you've treated my father Gideon right in, in killing his 70 sons, then fine and good. But if you've not, men of Shechem, the city that joined with Abimelech, and Abimelech may fire come out from either one of y'all and, and, and consume both of you. And so, uh, then uh, the Bible says that God is, is involved here in the background. Nobody calls out on God this whole chapter. It's a, it's a dark time as far as that's concerned, but God is at work. Did you know, even in a godless country, God is at work. And so, um, God is at work in this, behind the scenes, and he allows... Uh, a spirit, some say evil spirit, some say calamitous spirit. I think it's probably an evil spirit because of what he, he encourages them to do. Uh, but uh, God allows it just like he allowed Satan access in Job's life. In this case, um, this access is granted as an act of judgment. And so the spirit comes and he turns Abimelech and the people of Shechem against each other and uh, raises up another leader named Gaal, or uh, you call him Gale if you want to. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, 
this ruler decides to rebel against Abimelech, and Abimelech ends up killing him, and then killing the people of Shechem, and then killing the people that hide up in the tower in Shechem, and then going to Thebes, and taking that city, and taking the tower there, uh, surrounding it, getting ready to burn it, and then a woman throws an upper millstone on his head, knocks him in the head, and he falls over, and he starts to die, and he tells his armor bearer, quick, run your sword through me, so they won't say I've been killed by a woman. And he dies. And then it says, and so God avenged the blood of, of Gideon's sons upon Abimelech and the people of Shechem. And so God is wor- at work in judgment during this season of time. Um, and though that's true, and this is a story about the drift away from God and the, and the judgment that comes to the nation as a result, uh, it's also true that we can see some of the things that are taking place that they're choosing to do in these circumstances, and we see, hey, these are some things that we can avoid uh, to, to return to that godly kind of living that God wants us to live. But uh, as you see these different things we're going to point out in a few moments, I think you'll find that there's a lot of these very things going on today in the United States of America, and probably among people that you know, in the relationships that you have, maybe in your family or friends or uh, co-workers, whatever. And um, it's, a very, it's a very relevant word. So look with me at Judges chapter 9. We all need to repent of sin and return to God living when we've drifted. So look at one, verse 1. Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal, or Gideon, went to his mother's brothers at Shechem and spoke to them and to all his maternal grandfather's clan, saying, Please speak in the presence of all the lords of Shechem, is it better for you that 70 men, all the sons of Jerubbaal, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. His mother's relatives spoke all these words about him in the presence of all the lords of Shechem, and they were favorable to Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the temple at baal Berith. Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men with this money, and they followed him. He went to his father's house in Ophir and killed his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, on top of a large stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, survived because he hid himself. Then all the lords of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered together and proceeded to make Abimelech king at the oak of the pillar in Shechem. Uh, when they told Jotham, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim, raised his voice, and called to them. And then Jotham begins to share his fable that is a picture of, of these people looking for a decent king and they can't find one, so they go to the bramble. Abimelech's supposed to be the bramble. And, uh, and he's basically saying, you've just looked around for the wor- most worthless king you could find, and you've got him. And so, um, but uh, the verses 14 and 15, all the trees said to the bramble, come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if you're really anointing me as king over you, Come and find refuge in my shade. How much shade does a bramble give? You ever had a politician tell you they're going to do something good for you that they, that they didn't even intend to do in the first place? That's kind of the idea here. Anyway, but if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. And so uh, then uh, Jotham says some things. He's applying this fable to Abimelech and the people of Shechem. 
Uh, and he, he concludes with these words, verse 20. If not, may fire come from Abimelech and consume the lords of Shechem at Beth Milo. And may fire come from the lords of Shechem and Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham escaped, in verse 21, escaping to Beer, which is the Hebrew word for well. Some believe he actually was hiding in the well. Uh, and lived there because of his brother Abimelech. When Abimelech had ruled over Israel three years, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the lords of Shechem. They treated Abimelech deceitfully. By the way, when, when God allows an evil spirit to do something, we are still responsible for how we respond to that evil spirit. And so the people, in choosing to sin, were still responsible for that sin. So anyway... Uh, verse 24, so that the, the crime against the 70 sons of Jerubbaal might come to justice and their blood would be avenged on their brother Abimelech who killed them and on the lords of Shechem who had helped him kill his brothers. Uh, then in verse 26, Gaal the son of Ebed came with his brothers and crossed over into Shechem and the lords of Shechem trusted him. And so uh, he leads them in a revolt. Um, then... Um, Abimelech destroys the army of Gaal, and uh, then his, his uh, sidekick uh, kicks uh, Gaal and his, his leaders out of Shechem. And you don't hear about him anymore. Then uh, verse 42 says, The next day when the people were in the countryside, this was reported to Abimelech. So then he attacks the people of the town and kills them out in the countryside and apparently is then able to go into the city. Uh, then, if you pick it up in verse 47, then it was reported to Abimelech that all the lords of the Tower of Shechem had gathered together. So now he's going to the Tower of Shechem to kill those people too. And he, he gets some uh, wood and has his other people do that. They put the wood around the fire and they burn all these people to death. Isn't that lovely? And, uh, and then he decides to go to Thebes in uh, verse 50. Uh, camped against it and captured it, and there was a strong tower. And so he goes to do the same thing to that tower, to burn it. But verse 53 says, But a woman threw the upper portion of the millstone on Abimelech's head and fractured his skull. And, of course, you know about the, him telling his, his armor bearer to, draw, to uh, draw a sword and pierce him with it. Verse 56 says, In this way God turned back on Abimelech the evil that he had done against his father by killing his 70 brothers, and God also returned all the evil of the men of Shechem on their heads. So the curse of Jotham, son of Jerubbaal, came on them. So uh, God was active in this circumstance. And I, I want you to know something. If our courts don't, don't do justice, God will do justice. And uh, if, if our Congress doesn't stand up, or, or whoever is in Washington, president or whatever, doesn't stand up for the rights of the unborn, God will stand up for the rights of the unborn. So that's kind of the idea here. Returning to godly living. There are several things we need to stop if we want to return to godly living. First of all, stop pursuing your own ambitions, your selfish ambition. Uh, Abimelech was full of selfish ambition. But rather than selfish ambition, ambition in itself is not bad. If it's an ambition to do the will of God. That's what we need to do. And so um, Abimelech in, in pursuing his own selfish ambition. 
working behind the scenes. Hey, let one man, not 70, rule over you. Uh, he was willing to do just about anything to accomplish his goal. We see people like that in society today, don't we? doesn't matter who they step on to get that extra uh, position, that higher position, uh, to get that extra money. It doesn't matter what they do or who they hurt. They're going to achieve their goal. Uh, I think that's what the abortion industry is about. It's about money. And they don't care who they hurt or how many they kill as long as they make the almighty dollar. And uh, it's it's a sad state of affairs. Ambition can cause people to do horrible and horrific things against other people uh, when it is unchecked. And so, uh, stop pursuing your own ambitions. Uh, this can be subtle in the Christian's life. You may not be like Abimelech and going out and killing everybody trying to get your way, but um, ambition can be very subtle. And sometimes what we begin to do in our lives is we have an idol that we set up in our lives that becomes all important to us. And that pursuit of that idol... We'll set everything else aside. Um, sometimes people have a, a, an idol of their work or their job. And so everything else gets crowded out in their life. You know, their family gets crowded out. And their, their church gets crowded out. And they don't have time for, for anything except pursuing success in their job. And there's nothing wrong with hard work. Nothing wrong with diligence. Nothing wrong with goals. All those things are good. But, but when it becomes an idol, we begin to crowd out the other things, and we're putting that thing first in our life, and it becomes the ambition, our selfish ambition, for our life. And so we need to be careful that uh, other priorities don't, don't slip into our lives. It become more important than God. It might be an individual. It might be a relationship that becomes more important than God. Uh, it might be um, uh, a leisure activity or something like that, but... But we need to beware of those things and beware of pursuing selfish ambition. Jesus said this, If you want to follow me and you want to be my disciple, let a man deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so each day, deny ourselves, take up a cross, and follow him. That's against what American Christianity believes. Most people in American Christianity believe that it's all about me, right? Bless me if you can, preacher. Bless me if you can, music director. Bless me if you can, Sunday school teacher. Uh, bless me if you can, church. If you know, if you're, if you meet my needs and you do the things I think you want me to do, or, or you do the things I, that uh, I think you ought to do, uh, then maybe I'll stick around. Otherwise, I'm off somewhere else where I'll get what I want. It's all me, me, me focused, right? Uh, true biblical Christianity is a denial of ourselves for the sake of others. And the perfect example of that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He willingly set aside the worship of angels, uh, the streets of gold, walls of jasper, and all of the beauty of heaven to come be born of a humble woman named Mary, uh, Virgin Mary, and uh, was raised up, lived a perfect life, to take our place, to go, to be generally opposed and rejected by the religious leadership of this day, and then ultimately to go to uh, a cross and to bear the rejection of his people. He went to his own, and his own received him not. But Jesus continued to lay his life down for the sake of others. 
he told them the truth when it wasn't popular to do so uh, because he wanted to reach them. Even the, the Pharisees, even the people that were opposing him. Jesus was constantly laying down what would have been in his own best interest for the sake of others. And, and they wanted to make him king, but what did he do? He laid it down. He said, this is not my, my hour has not come. This is not what I'm here for. I'm here to go to a cross. Then in the garden, the wrestling, the sweat drops of blood as he began to, to consider the wrath and the judgment of God that would come upon him at the cross so that we could be forgiven and experience the grace of God. But Jesus, again, laid it down. Not my will, but thine be done. And so, our great Savior did that. And the Bible says because he laid down his life for us, um, that God has raised him up and exalted him and given him a name above every other name. One of the first things that Satan did to try to draw Jesus aside is to say, hey, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All this will be yours if you'll bow down and worship me. And what did Jesus say? (laughs) Get away from me. It said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so, uh, you know, Jesus resisted this self-promotion in his life. Somebody says, well, I'm going to get married because my spouse is going to meet all my needs. Get ready to be surprised. Marriage is about laying yourself down for somebody else. There's no human being that can meet your needs. Only God can meet your needs. And so, um, in all of our lives, in our relationships with people, it shouldn't be about us. It should be about, what does God want me to do? And how can I lay myself down and deny myself for the sake of God his work and for the sake of others. So, uh, you want to know some things to stop? Stop, first of all, pursuing your, your ambition. Secondly, stop hiding in fear. Jotham is an example of this. Uh, Jotham seems to be a pretty decent guy. He's probably the best of Gideon's sons. But after he gives his fable, he goes off and he begins to hide either in a town called Well or inside the well itself. You know, I, I kind of imagine, uh, you know, you, there's some, some others in Scripture that hid in wells, you know. What would it be like to hide in a well? Not too pleasant, I wouldn't think. Uh, but verse 21 says, He fled, escaping to Beer, and lived there because of his brother Abimelech. Probably for three years he's hiding out in fear. Now, uh, you say, well, I would probably hide out too if 69 of my brothers I'd seen killed uh, by Abimelech. And I understand that. But, but one of the things that's amazing to me is no one calls out upon God. You don't see Jotham. He's probably the best character in the whole bunch here. But you don't see him call out upon God. Nobody say, Lord, what should I do? Lord, what's my next step? Lord, how should I, how should I respond in this situation Instead, everybody's just doing what they think. And so, uh, he's hiding out in fear. The Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, uh, whenever fearfulness settles in upon your life, know that that's not from God. Now, fear, when it comes, should be a cue to take uh, your burden and your problem to God in prayer. And to, to thank him. Uh, 
I love that scripture that says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts or keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so uh, the peace of God that passes all understanding in exchange for fear. I'll take that. Uh, that's what I want. So, uh, yeah, don't hide out in fear. Uh, the Bible in another place in Proverbs says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Uh, I, I can think of a lot of different Old Testament prophets. That's what I think of when I, when I hear that verse. Some Old Testament prophet like Micaiah. He was a prophet to Ahab, one of Israel's most wicked kings. And uh, every time he'd come before Ahab, he'd tell him the truth. And every time Ahab hated it, and he hated him. And, and Jehoshaphat says, hey, let's consult with the prophet of God. And, and Ahab says, well, there's one, but I hate him. He always says bad things about me. And uh, he says, well, call him. We want to hear from a prophet of Yahweh. And, and so uh, Micaiah comes, and in boldness, he speaks the truth to Ahab. And yeah, it's another bad thing that's going to happen to Ahab. And sure enough, it comes to pass. But praise God for people who have a boldness to speak. We need that in our culture today, don't we? we you know, Christians have gone into hiding largely. I mean, uh, you know, everybody else is coming out of the closet, and Christians are going into the closet. And, and the opposite needs to be true. We need to be bold in our witness for Christ. We need to be willing to speak up for Christ as the Holy Spirit leads us to. Not in an, in an ugly or an unkind way, but, but in, a, in a loving way. Uh, scripture says, let your conversation be full of grace and sprinkle with salt. And so, um, a whole lot of grace and love for people, but, uh, but truth as well. The salt needs to be there. Uh, and, and we need to speak for God. So, don't hide out in fear. And don't let the devil rob you of your joy by, by living your life in constant fear. That's not of God. So instead, power, love, and of a sound mind is what God wants us to have. So the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. When we fear, a lot of times we're, we're, it's a cue to us that we're not loving God and loving others in the way that we should. Um, I've had to pray from time to time, Lord, forgive me for not loving people the way you love them. Sometimes our fear can make us stand at arm's length from, from somebody that needs to hear the message of the gospel. So uh, ask God to give you a boldness uh, in sharing, but also uh, don't let the enemy steal your joy. Because sometimes fear can just be about circumstances in your life. Um, don't fret. Somebody said fret stands for forf forfeiting rest every time. And so um, trust God instead. So jo Jotham fled... Didn't trust God. So stop hiding in fear. Stop pursuing your own ambitions. Stop deceiving other people. Um, God sends the evil spirit. By the way, this ought to tell us something about what happens when a culture leaves God out of it. God begins to take his hand of protection off a nation. And now where once the enemy had no access... Just like Job had a hedge of thorns. Now, God has removed the protection and the enemy is coming in like a flood. Don't we see that in our culture today? Um, this, this evil spirit comes and God allows him to come. 
By the way, did you know even the evil designs of Satan and his demons, God uses for his purpose? That's the sovereignty of God. Now, God's not evil, but God can use even wicked people for his purpose. You remember God telling the Israelites, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. He's coming to bring judgment. Uh, God can use the wicked people that don't even know Christ. God can use anybody for his purpose. And God can just take his hand of protection off to bring judgment. I think we've seen that in our, in our culture to a certain degree. But the result of this evil spirit coming in is they begin to treat Abimelech deceitfully. Um, deceiving others is a work of the enemy. I've seen this in families. I've seen this in churches. I've seen this, obviously, in national life. Uh, The Bible says that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. He is the the one who is the deceiver. Um, That's what he did in the garden, right? He, He led Adam and Eve astray through deceit. We are the children of God. And he is the truth. And so we are representatives of his truth. And we're to speak the truth. And we're to be honest in our dealings. And, um, and, and so uh, we need to turn from deceitful practices. Um, you remember Abraham? Abraham was afraid because he had a really, to use a teenager's uh, phrases, a really hot wife. And, uh, and, and he knew that when he went down to Egypt, they were going to notice her. And he thought, you know what, I might not live too long. If I go down to Egypt and they know that I'm her husband, they may just kill me because they want her. And so he tells his wife, chivalry, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he tells his wife, Sarah, you, since you are my sister halfway, uh, tell them, you're my sister. Don't tell him you're my wife. And so, through deceit, Abraham is trying to protect himself. Sarah gets taken into Pharaoh's household, and the Bible is kind of silent about what happens while she's there, but uh, God closes all the wombs in Pharaoh's household and sends a plague against them. So finally, somehow, Pharaoh figures it out, and he brings Abraham. He says, what is this you've done? You know, get out of my country. And so, um, and then Abraham does it again. He's got a Philistine king. Now, and ironically, his name's Abimelech. And uh, uh, this Philistine king uh, happens to be a pretty good guy, but, but Abraham, again, is fearful, and so he lies about his wife. She's my sister. And Abimelech also rebukes Abraham. But there's this, there's this pattern in his life of using deceitfulness to protect himself, but really... What he needs to be doing is trusting God. And the ironic thing is, God comes to Abimelech in a dream, this other Abimelech, the Philistine Abimelech, and he says to him, look, you are as good as dead. If you take Sarah as your wife, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to put you to death. And he's like, whoa, you know, uh, uh, no, I didn't know, God. You know, uh, He said, well, that's why I warned you. So the next day, <laughs> of course, uh, Abimelech sets things right, and uh, he doesn't go through with his plan. 
God was protecting him. You see, it was an issue of faith for Abraham. He wasn't trusting God. Sometimes we feel like we have to shield ourselves with, with, all the, with the deceit. But God says, look, I want you to tell the truth. I want you to be honest. I want you to rely upon me as your shield and your protector rather than trying to rely on deceit. So uh, deceit, uh, intentionally deceiving other people, intentionally lying to other people is a sin that will quench the Holy Spirit in your life and will rob you of the Spirit-filled life. And so you want to confess that if you've done that and ask for the filling of the Spirit and repent of that so that you can walk in godly living. So um, what should we stop to return to godly living? Pursuing our ambition, hiding in fear, deceiving other people, and finally misplacing our trust. Misplacing our trust. Look at uh, verse 26. By the way, this isn't the first time they misplaced their trust. They trusted Abimelech the first time. That worked out real well, didn't it? Look at verse 26. Gaal, uh, son of Ebed, came with his brothers and crossed into Shechem, and the lords of Shechem trusted him. They were misplacing their trust. He wasn't a good guy. And uh, he, they're, by the way, they're all, all of them are Baal worshipers, too. They're all idolaters. Uh, nobody is seeking God, nobody is trusting God. They're just trusting God. In men. Now, there's nothing wrong with trusting trustworthy people. I'm not saying that there's something wrong with that. But there is something wrong with trusting people more than we trust God. And uh, I, I see this every year at election, or every, every election cycle. People trust in politicians more than they trust in God. I'm going to tell you something. The answer to, to America becoming great will not be found in a politician. It will be found in the blessing of God's hand. Uh, I do believe we ought to vote for the right leaders and pray about that and so forth. But, but people a lot of times are, vo- are voting based on what they want. What can you do for me? Is that selfish? That's not everybody, okay? But, but there's a lot of people that vote that way. It, you know, if you give me what I want, you know, it's like in high school. Well, you know, I... If, uh, if you vote for me as class president, um, I, I will make them serve pizza in the cafeteria every day. You know, that kind of thing. And so you vote for it. Hey, I want pizza. I'm voting for that. And so, um, but people a lot of times think that if they will trust this human being, it may be a family member, it may be a friend, it may be uh, something else, someone else, but, but they put their trust in, in other people rather than putting it in God. And that's a dangerous thing to do. Um, sometimes we, we think, okay, this person, man, they're, they're intelligent. They, look at all this stuff they got going for them. I'm going to trust in that person. No, that's not the answer. We need to trust in God. Now, um, if we're trusting in God, first of all, then it's safe to trust in people who, who are trustworthy as well. But, uh, but we need to take our cues from God. What would have happened had the people of Shechem, instead of just saying, hey, yeah, Abimelech, we agree, you're our brother, we need to, to have you as our ruler and not Gideon's 70 sons, uh, yeah, yeah, come on. What would have happened if they had taken that to God in prayer and said, Lord, what about this? Should Abimelech be our ruler? And God had said, no. Wow, talk about being delivered from a lot of tragedy in their life. 
I mean, the city would have been spared, and the, the leadership would have been spared, and the, the sister town of Thebes would have been spared, and all of these things would have, would have been so much better, but they didn't do that. They just trusted in Abimelech. So, so they hadn't learned a lesson, so Abimelech, apparently it's not going too well. He's been ruling three times. They said, this guy's a power-hungry maniac, and he's not doing us any good. So, so let's pick somebody else to trust. And so here comes along Gaal, and they're putting their trust in him. Uh, some people say, well, let's, we trust in the Democrats last time, so now we're going to trust in the Republicans. Yeah, listen, I, I, I have preferences in, in political and all that stuff, but, but I, want you, I want you to know something. We need to get back to trusting God in this country. That's our problem. We, we need to, to fall before his face and seek his face. For our um, so, um, trusting God. Uh, you know, what, what would Peter and John have done had they trusted in men rather than God? The, the Sanhedrin that had uh, beaten them for preaching the gospel had said, hey, you can't preach the gospel anymore in his name. If they'd have trusted them, <laughs> we'd all be in serious trouble because the gospel never would have gotten to us. But they didn't. They trusted in God. Uh, what would have happened had Abraham not trusted in God? Instead, uh, trusted maybe in family. The Bible didn't tell us this, but maybe there were family members who were trying to talk him out of it. Usually there's somebody trying to talk you out of something, right? Uh, what, if they had what if he had listened to that instead of trusting God? He would have misplaced his trust, and Israel would not have become the chosen people of God. Uh, he would not have been the ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, his whole life would have been on a different trajectory because of trust being other than where it needs to, needs to be. Um, one big difference you see between Gideon after he begins to get some encouragement from God is he begins to trust in God at, at first. He, he drifts from that. But at first he begins to trust in God. He's seeking God's leadership and what God's telling him to do. And he has the power of God upon his life. And the country is blessed. And he's blessed. His family's blessed. Because they're trusting in God. Just one generation later, nobody's trusting in God. And now you see the, the results of it. So, misplacing our trust. Hebrews says this. Uh, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whoever, whoever uh, would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is the foundation of everything in our lives. Jesus said this, according to your faith, so will it be to you. Um, your faith in God is what he's talking about. And so this is so important. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to, to long for and pray for and seek a strong faith in God so that you can receive the fullness of my blessing. But in Judges chapter 9, nobody's even trusting God with a little bit of faith. Nobody's even calling on God. They've misplaced their trust. It's such a tragedy. If you want to return to godly living, you need to put your trust back where it belongs. Not in the opinions of men, not in the opinions of scientists, which are changing all the time, not in the opinions of the media, not in the opinions of the latest politician. No, you need to put your trust 
firmly and squarely upon Jesus Christ. He is, should be the source of our trust. And, and you will return to godly living, walking by faith and not by sight. So what should you turn from to return to godly? What should you stop to return to godly living? Stop pursuing your ambitions, selfish ambitions. Stop hiding in fear. Stop deceiving other people and stop misplacing your trust. And just confess these things. These are just four things. There could probably be many things that you could list here uh, to return to godly living. But whatever the sin may be in your life, stop it and turn, confess that to God. Put your trust in Him and follow His will for your life. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You know, the ironic thing is, when we deny ourselves, we find out what life's all about. When we choose to, not just deny ourselves to deny ourselves, but when we choose to follow Jesus, His will and found in God's Word, His guidance of the Holy Spirit, and we lay ourselves down regularly, what we find is we begin to live life as God intended us to live it. Judges gets darker and darker. Because nobody's seeking after God. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. Boy, is that a description of America today. Instead, put your trust in God. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, we ask that you would help us, Lord, uh, to not drift in our relationship with you. Not, not to... to fall away from, from the former devotion that we've had. But, Father, help us to, to strongly be committed to you. And, Lord, help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. Help us stop whatever sin in our life is standing in the way of a, a wholehearted commitment to you. And, Father, help us to...